Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 45 of Now We're Talking. This is a podcast about communication skills. My name is Rob Danish, and I'm a professor of communication studies at the University of Waterloo in Canada. Uh, today's a special episode about elections, and that's because it's October 18th while I'm recording this, and we're a couple weeks away from the midterm elections in the United States. I, I also live in Toronto and we have a, a city municipal election coming up in uh, on Monday, I believe, Monday or Tuesday uh, is the election. So there's lots of talk in the media about elections. So if I was gonna give a title to this episode of the podcast, it would be how to win an election or in the case of the Democratic Party, how to certainly lose an election. Uh, I'm not going to have very many kind of huge or super insightful, uh, super insightful specific practices in, in this lesson because it's really, really easy and it's really, really simple. And for the most part, we've known uh, most of the central, the central kind of innovations behind persuasion for at least 2,500 years. Uh, and it still kind of shocks me that the Democratic Party doesn't get it. Um, it just doesn't understand. Anyway, I was reading a book recently called Five Stars, The Communication Secrets to Get from Good to Great by a guy named Carmine Gallo. And it's a perfectly fine book. I have nothing negative to say about the book. It is pretty simple. And he does repeat most of the things that I'm telling you in the podcast and in my own book, What, what Effect Have I Had? Um, and he does it in what I would consider more simplistic fashion. Um, but his big insight is, of course, emotions matter. And the best way to target emotions is with what he calls a three-act storytelling structure. So there's been lots of episodes of this podcast that have talked about storytelling. My students love talking about storytelling. Uh, every time I talk about story, I say that, you know, story has a beginning, middle, and end. It's got a challenger choice, and it's got to have some characters you can identify with, and that the challenger choice has to be overcome and reconciled at some point. Uh, what the heck does all this have to do with elections? So, and oh, this might be a very short episode, hopefully, because it's so simple. Uh, here's the thing that I wish every uh, member of the Democratic Party, every candidate running for the Democrats, every candidate on the left anyways in the world would understand and drill into their heads. Policies do not win elections. People don't care about policies. People are not persuaded by policies. Policies don't matter in elections. Policies matter in, in terms of governance. They're what's governing politi politicians implement to change society, but they are wholly and completely irrelevant to elections. So in the, I live in the province of Ontario. The province of Ontario had an election a couple of months ago and a man named Doug Ford was the winner. Doug Ford had zero platform. He had no platform. He ran without a platform, which is another way of saying he was a candidate that had no policy initiatives whatsoever. As far as I can tell throughout my entire adult life, so for almost 25 years now, the Republican Party has had no policy initiatives either other than to cut taxes. So I know that the, the policy Republicans support is cutting taxes, but otherwise I could not tell you what policies Republicans stand for. And in this particular election, the midterm elections coming up in, in the U.S., um, 
the Donald Trump just passed a huge tax cut package of tax cuts. So it's really kind of off of the radar as a policy initiative to talk about in an election. Uh, but Republicans are smart enough not to bother talking about policy in elections either. It's just like Doug Ford was smart enough not to bother talking about policy policies during his elections because policies don't win elections. Why is that? Uh, so let's talk about um, Medicare for starters. So in the U.S., uh, Democrats have long run on Medicare. They think that Medicare is a good policy program. It's uh, a health care program that provides health care to millions of Americans. And the Democratic Party likes it, and they want to fund it, and they want to support it because they think it's good policy. So the Democrats will tell you, I'm running for office so I can kind of uh, extend or make certain Medicare doesn't go anywhere. And this is a policy position. And it's in pretty much everyone's best interest. I can't, like, it's in everyone, everyone that votes would really be better off if Medicare was expanded and fully supported and fully funded. So it's a policy that we know is good for people. Not only that, we also know that for the huge portions of Americans support Medicare. They think it's good. They think it's a, a good policy and it's a good program to have. Um, but yet, yet, somehow, Democratic candidates go into uh, these elections, they talk about that policy, and it doesn't translate into votes. They don't win. Why? Why not? Um, so in previous episodes, I talked about starting with why or values instead of facts. Uh, this the same for elections. So uh, people, in order to be motivated or persuaded to vote, and here... We, we need to remember that every election is a problem of persuasion because you have to convince someone to pull a lever or push a button or fill out a ballot in your favor. They have to choose you over some other candidate and they have to be motivated enough to show up at the polls. So what will motivate someone enough to show up at the polls and then select and by whatever mechanism they do the selecting, select you as one candidate instead of another? Well, we know that story, narrative, and values and emotions are the things that will guide the persuasive process like that. So we know going in that this will be an emotional decision that someone makes to show up at the polls and pull a lever. It will not be a rational decision. To the extent that it's rational, the reasoning of the voter is biased by their emotional predisposition toward the candidates. And in order to target the emotional predisposition of the voter, you have to tell the voter a story that they see themselves implicated in. That story has to have villains and heroes. It has to have a confrontation or a challenge or a choice or a dramatic tension that the vote itself uh, kind of plays a role in reconciling or overcoming. The Republicans are geniuses at this. Of course, the so right now, now that... that um, uh, Trump has passed this huge tax cut. The Republican Party basically has no policy ideas. There's no policy initiatives that the Republican Party supports. They've got nothing. They they don't like Obamacare, so they want to get rid of it, but they have no idea what would possibly replace it. But get so what do they do? Well, they need a narrative in order to support the in order to get people to support their their candidates. So they fall back on. Uh, usually on racism and forms of panic related to immigration. So you will see in the next couple of weeks, as we get closer and closer to the election, Republicans over and over again, overwhelmingly saying, 
We have to secure the borders of the United States. There's millions of immigrants rushing into the country and they're bringing drugs and they're violent, violent criminals. Why does this work so, so much? A, why, why does it work so well? A, it's a narrative that you have a story that we have um, a border, that border is being crossed, it's creating confrontation or tension or a challenger choice. The, the story has villains in it. The villains are the immigrants. The heroes are the people that will stop the immigrants. Period. End, end of story. So we know what we're voting for. And we know also implied in the story is that the, uh, the teller of the story values Americans more than quote unquote foreigners or you know, the people coming in across the border illegally. Of course, policy-wise, all this is stupid. Um, they, there is no, Republicans do not have a rational policy to address an immigration problem, A. B, there's no immigration problem. It doesn't exist. Uh, the thing is, is entirely made up or constructed by the Republican Party because that constructed thing fits nicely inside a narrative. It simply isn't true that there are millions of people flooding across the border in the U.S. and they're bringing drugs and, and violence into the country. It's factually false. Um, but even if it were true, the, Repu the Republicans will not and do not need to offer a serious policy solution to the problem. Building a wall is a joke. Everybody knows it's a joke. There will never be a wall. It will never be built. It's financially impossible. It's stupid. It's practically impossible. It wouldn't work anyway. The only reason it works is that it fits the narrative nicely, and it's a simplistic reduction of a policy so that people can really understand what the thing is. So if you are going to advocate a policy, it has to be the simplest possible policy so that people can understand it. And that policy has to be the resolution to a narrative that you've already established to motivate people to vote. So the narrative by the Republicans has been established, and then they boil the policy down to some simplistic, simplistic thing that we all know will never actually come to fruition. Uh, and people go out in droves to vote for them. So here's why the, de the Democrats will probably take control of the House, and that's it. They'll probably lose Senate seats. And, you know, Donald Trump will probably win re-election again in, in 2022. Uh, here's the problem with the Democratic Party. They have no narrative. They have no narrative with heroes, no narrative with villains, no narrative with a challenger choice, and no narrative that voting for a Democrat would uh, s serve as a resolution to the challenge or the, to the dramatic tension. They, they don't. They have a series of policy proposals, mostly related to Medicare for all or universal health care, uh, better education. Uh, these are things obviously any rational human being would support and would like. I don't understand, you know, if you took the emotions out of the equation, I don't think anyone would ever vote for a Republican. Um, there are no rational or sound reasons to vote for a Republican. There are emotional reasons because Republicans give us narratives with emotions in them, uh, but there are no 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 uh, kind of actual rational um, thoughts because there are no policies either. Uh, so the Democrats will run on a series of policies and policy initiatives, and those policies and policy initiatives won't be persuasive because they haven't been narrativized. They haven't been situated inside a narrative that's constructed to target the emotions of an audience. Without that, they lose. And so it doesn't even matter, I, I mean, and the forget about the complexity of the policy solutions themselves as well. So 
Um, one of the reasons I chose to study communication or I chose to study some aspects of communication or my early in life fascination with and disappointment in Al Gore, Al Gore was clearly a bright man who is thoughtful. He was kind of a policy nerd. Uh, he clearly had kind of thoughtful policy suggestions for how to improve American political life. Uh, he ran against George W. Bush, who was during the campaign basically spoke at the level of a, a second grader. Uh, George W. Bush presented himself mostly like a moron. I mean, he was a complete fool uh, in the uh, debates and in the campaign. But he had a narrative uh, about compassionate conservatism. He talked about values all the time. And that was the only thing he talked about. And Al Gore stood on stage and talked about policy all the time. And guess what? Values beat policy. And that happens all happens in, in every election. So Al Gore's problem was that there were no, was no narrative supporting his policy recommendations, and the narrative didn't come first, and the narrative didn't clearly didn't make clear what values were at stake and who the enemies were and who the heroes were, and it didn't it didn't effectively um, motivate people to vote for him. Um, so until and unless the Democratic Party has a narrative. And that narrative is structured with heroes and villains to target values and to, to get people um, feeling a certain way and feeling that uh, the way that their vote would help resolve the problem in the narrative, then the Democratic Party won't ever return to power. Um, in, in, as, so as long as the conservatives or the Republican Party continues to have the, uh, the, the narrative with values in it, and frankly, it's not even a very compelling narrative, it's just the only narrative that's around. It's the only kind of narrative structure that's available for voters. So obviously they latch onto it. Uh, Bernie Sanders, one of the reasons that Bernie Sanders did so well is he's one of the few candidates that actually did have, or at least in the few candidates, Barack Obama had a narrative also. That's why he won. Uh, but Bernie Sanders also has a bit of a narrative. It's, the narrative is that the 99% of the population is being taken advantage of by the 1%. The wealthy are the villains. And the heroes are the 99% who are going to raise up and take power back from the 1% who are, who are the villains. So the, and you'll see Bernie Sanders tell that story over and over and over again. And the policy comes second. Uh, what policies will redress the, that inequality? Uh, and what qualities will redress corporate, uh, corporate greed and corporations who are the villains in, in Bernie Sanders' story? So, um, there are lots of narrative choices out there, and I'm not saying Bernie Sanders has the only narrative choice for the Democratic Party. Frankly, um, I don't think that's the best or most effective narrative to construct for the Democratic Party, but at least he's got one. Uh, Hillary Clinton's narrative when in her campaign was, I'm a woman and I'm experienced, which, as you can see, is not a very good narrative. There's no villain in that narrative. There's no challenge or choice. There's no tension. There's no dramatic tension. Uh, voting for her just kind of was supposed to complete the rise of women or the, the complete the task of, of women's liberation, women breaking glass ceilings. Uh, and that was not a particularly motivating, um, motivating narrative. It wasn't even really a narrative at all, which is why it was just the real reason why she lost the election. If Hillary Clinton had a narrative, she would have won the election. And you can't blame it entirely on Vladimir Putin or a Russian interference, which certainly had an effect, but just like Al Gore, she won the popular vote, yes, but 
she should have won by an overwhelming margin. And the only reason she didn't is because she ran a campaign without real, without a narrative, without a compelling narrative. Um, so this book, you know, uh, Five Stars by Carmine, Carmine Gallo at the end, uh, of course, he talks about how to be more persuasive. And he suggests this three-act storytelling structure. And I don't understand why the whole Democratic Party doesn't get together and have a big meeting where they map out their three-act storytelling structure. And then all of the members of the Democratic Party stick to their three-act storytelling structure. And then later on, worry about or care about or think about what policies would support that structure. Because until they do that, and unless they do that, they will continue to lose elections. So um, yeah, I think that, that this episode is fairly straightforward and fairly simple. To win an election, you need a narrative because the narrative targets the emotions of an audience and motivates an audience to act. And that is part of the process of persuasion. It's an inevitable and necessary part of the process of persuasion. And policies just don't matter in elections. They don't matter at all. And I don't know how many times those on the left need to continue to learn that lesson. But until they learn that lesson, they will continue to be out of power. And really, when we need them in power most, I mean, it's astonishing to me. Uh, I feel each year that goes by increasingly um, how irrational it is that we don't have a national or international strategy to combat climate change uh, and policies to combat, combat climate change. But the reason that we don't have that is that we don't know who the villains are. We don't know who the heroes are. We don't have a narrative structure that fits climate change that can, can support policies that would uh, address climate change and uh, you know the, the the Republican Party will continue to control uh, American electoral politics at least as long as they control as long as they have the only kind of available narrative in the marketplace of ideas. Um, okay, so that's the simple um, message about how to win an election. Uh, it's and how persuasion works. It's the most fundamental and and basic insight into the process of persuasion and the process of leadership. It's also worth noting that Google knows this. Um, most of the really successful Fortune 500 companies all know this. Google has like a chief storyteller. Um, most of the large, massively successful corporations have these kinds of storytellers. Um, it's, it's, and it comes back to uh, what communication is. It's not the transmission of information. So. Lots of companies these days have stopped using PowerPoint presentations with bullet points or memos with bullet points, and they ask for narrative memos instead, or they ask for uh, PowerPoint presentations that use, uh, use images to depict or capture a narrative structure in them. Because they know that those things are the things that will motivate, that will get people's attention and motivate them to, them to act. Yet the Democratic Party at least continues to not take that seriously or not kind of understand or incorporate the, that research and into communication. Um, so Democrats continue to miss the idea that the effect that you have is more important than the transmission of information. They think if I just try harder to explain this policy and how much better we'd all be, uh, how much better off we'd all be if we just adopted this policy, they just try harder and harder and harder to explain the policy, to transmit information about the policy from their candidates to the voters that they continue to forget that communication is not a matter of that transmission, but it's actually a matter of affecting an audience. And the most important or best way to affect them from a leadership position is through 
is through narrative. So that's all for, for this week. I'm gonna try and talk about some more sophisticated or more interesting leadership strategies as we get into the next few episodes. So thanks everyone for listening. I'm glad you stopped by and uh, I'll be back in a, another week with a new episode.